0: You're listening to The Gold Digger Podcast, episode number 74. Today, I am interviewing the incredible author, Emily Freeman, and we are talking all about life, feeling purpose, giving ourselves permission, staying creative, and how to tackle your next project with ease so that you know that you are creating your best work. I am so excited for you to tune in to this interview today and introduce you to an amazing, amazing woman. There are so many quotables in this episode, you're probably going to want a pen and paper. You're
1: listening to the Goal Digger podcast with Jenna Kutcher, the live workshop style business podcast for creative girl bosses. So you can train from the experts how to dig in, do the work and tackle your goals along the way. Here's your host, photographer,
0: educator, artist, and mac and cheese lover, Jenna Kutcher. Hey, Gold Diggers, it's Jenna Kutcher, and today I am with the super talented, super kind Emily Freeman. Emily is the author of A Million Little Ways. She's based in North Carolina with her three children and her husband, and this woman is incredibly inspiring. I'm so excited for her to talk all about creativity and spirituality and how to just stay inspired when it comes to being an artist and creating new projects. And so welcome to the show, Emily. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to hang out with you. So first things first, tell us a little bit about you, how you got started, where you're at today, and what that journey's kind of looked like for you.
1: Sure. Well, first, my training isn't in writing or business, but actually in sign language interpreting, which is kind of hilarious, because that's not really what I do now. But I graduated with a degree in educational interpreting for the deaf. So I spent a lot of years interpreting in the classroom setting for deaf and hard of hearing students, which I loved. I got married and this was before we had kids, I worked full time. And my job essentially was to convey the message of one language so that a person who used a different language could understand. So essentially I made a profession out of listening to and communicating other people's words. And so several years into this, my husband and I had twins And I, twin girls, and I stopped interpreting for a while. And during that time of sort of like having two babies at one time and trying to figure out how to be a person and, you know, cram sleep into the cracks of life, I started to realize I felt sort of like a shadow of a woman and I couldn't figure out why. And I realized that part of that was I had sort of dropped the things that I feel like made me come alive. And one of those things for me was writing. i had never, because I went to school, actually, I was a piano major first, that didn't work out. Then I did the sign language, and because I went to school for something completely different, my hobby as a writer was sort of something I put on the back burner and sort of thought, okay, now that I'm a grown-up, I'm going to do grown-up work and put that you know, writing hobby to the side. But I sort of picked it back up and started writing again, mainly, honestly, Jenna, so that I could sort of know that my thoughts would go someplace other than, like, get lost or... You know, I would I found myself writing ideas on the backs of receipts and then they'd get lost at the bottom of my purse and so I was like, <laughs> this is not gonna cut it. So in two thousand six I started a blog and it was really, honestly just for the purpose of putting my thoughts someplace where I knew they wouldn't get lost because they were on the World Wide Web. But I rediscovered in that process, I rediscovered the writer who was always there, but really never gave herself permission to speak. So eventually I attended a writing conference. I wrote a book proposal because I had this idea for a book, but really my idea for a book, honestly, I thought that I'm never going to write a book. It's not really going to be a book, but I'll work on this proposal just to sort of get my idea out there on paper and I'll end up using it with the people in my community. But what ended up happening was I met an editor at this conference and that editor ended up becoming my editor for my next four books. So she was my first contact there and she was the person who sort of championed me at this publishing house back in 2009. And that was my first book contract. And so now I've written four books with that same publisher. I've created an online course. I'm a co-founder of a membership site online for writers called Hope Writers that we started about two years ago. And honestly, I mean, in short, sort of where I am now and what I see, what I do now as a writer, I still really use those skills as an interpreter, which is kind of funny to think about. But instead of interpreting from American Sign Language into English, I now feel like really my job is to interpret the language of publishing, marketing and business into a language that our soul can understand and process and apply.
0: That's incredible. I have a really interesting question. And it's, how did you sign up for that first workshop? Because I feel like a lot of people feel that fraud syndrome, or like they (laughs) aren't quite ready to jump into something. And so I would love to just hear about how you just took that plunge. Because I mean, it sounds like it was incredibly pivotal in your moving forward. But I think a lot of people are paralyzed in that fear of like, well, I'll wait until I have things figured out before I sign up for a workshop or a conference of sorts?
1: Listen, that very question is the question that I see hovering over every single creative person I've ever met. Mm -hmm. And I think everyone's creative in our hearts. Sometimes people are just creative in math, (laughs) creative accountants. But I think all of us have that art that's sort of alive within us. It just expresses itself differently. But we all have that question above our heads. And the question is, who do you think you are? Mm -hmm. And I think we're always asking that question in different areas of life, even those of us who have quote unquote made it or have become professional artists. We're always asking that question. And I think for me in that particular situation, it really started out. I went to my first writer's conference without a book proposal, without anything except a spirit of wanting to learn. And so I will never forget walking into that workshop, that conference. I didn't know a single person. I signed up for it to sort of on a whim, honestly, just thinking like, you know what, my one thing I wanted to do was I wanted to learn something I didn't know before. So that was sort of my expectation going in. I didn't know beyond that what to expect, but you had to go up and walk up to the counter and give them your name. And then they would ask, I said, you know, I'm Emily Freeman, Emily P. Freeman. And, and they asked me, you know, well, are you, this particular conference was a conference for both either writers or speakers. And so you had to tell them which track you were on. So either the writer's track or the speaker's track. And she asked me she said oh hi emily welcome are you a writer or a speaker <laughs> and
0: i d none of the above <laughs> listen, my face got red.
1: i'm not kidding you my face got red and i start to like hyperventilate. i'm like I'm a, I'm a writer and i was afraid that like the writing police were going to come out from the corners and arrest me and be like you can't say that you're not a writer no one's giving you permission to be a writer i mean this sounds crazy now because i mean honestly jenna all she was asking me was which which track did you pay for? (laughs) Which track did you sign up for? So I took my folder and I had to take my little folder and I went and sat in the lobby and I looked down at it and had this little sticker at the top right-hand corner that said Freeman comma Emily P. And then underneath that, it said writer. And it was a moment for me because I had never declared myself as a writer. I wasn't trained in that. No one gave me permission, but it was a moment for me. of sort of accepting sort of that part of me. And honestly, moving towards this was a step of moving towards what made me come alive, which I think is what all art is, is really an artist is someone who's brave enough to move towards what makes her come alive. And art is what happens when she does that art is just the evidence. So the writing is the evidence that I had chosen to move towards what makes me come alive. And for me, part of that is writing.
0: So what did that identity look like for you as you were transitioning from what you had been doing into the role of being a mother and then into the role of being a writer? What was that kind of like for your identity in the sense of changing from something that had a very specific title to kind of going out on your own and processing all of that? Because that's a huge change for you.
1: It was a huge change. And I can't tell you how many times I've wished, like, why can't I just be a banker? Like, And then everybody knows, (laughs) like, oh, what do you do? I'm a banker teller. Like it's done, it's done. done <laughs> and done. Like we're, it's over. And then, especially in those beginning years, it was, and here's something that was really instrumental for me was I didn't realize how important writing was to my own development, spiritual formation, to my own identity. I think writing is what I do, but I also think that the act of writing helps me become who I'm meant to be. And so one thing I didn't do at the start that I wish I had done sooner was, was communicate with my husband how important that was to me. I think a lot of, or at least for me, I can speak for myself, I just didn't realize it at the time. I didn't have the language to communicate to him how important it was. So I sort of treated it like a hobby, but then I was frustrated when my husband treated it like a hobby, and I didn't understand that in order for him to take it seriously, I had to do that first. But I didn't, it was such a transition. And in fact, and you might not believe this, but this is the true I wrote one, two, I was in the the midst of my third book that I wrote for a publisher in the middle of my third book, writing it before I realized, Oh, I have a job. (laughs) writing is my actual grown woman job. And I think because I did not expect to get that first contract in the first place, it took me a few years to catch up. I will never forget. I I took my kids to school and I came home and I was sort of running through my list as I walked home from taking them to school of all the things I had to do. It was like, it was like this hodgepodge pile of work related stuff and home related stuff and grocery shopping and cooking, but also, you know, a business call and a talk with my editor and an email to return and, and this article to write. And I sort of thought, why do I feel so overwhelmed? And it hit me, oh, I have a job, but I haven't been really treating my schedule as if I have a job. And that was a real pivotal moment for me, but it took me two and a half books to realize it. (laughs) Don't let this happen to you.
0: Isn't that crazy? And I feel like there are so many different steps in all of our processes that we can remember those exact moments where we felt ownership or where we felt this sense of purpose or where we felt like a true artist. And, you know, all of those little tiny instances add up to what people perceive as having had it the whole time. And it's like, no, this is such a process with growing pains
1: and awkward years and all of that. (laughs) It's so true. It's so true. Looking back, you know, if you see where someone is today, it's easy to compare and say, oh, they've got together, but man, it took them ways to get there. Isn't that crazy?
0: So let's talk a little bit about staying creative and what that looks like. And I can only imagine as an author and writing multiple books, I feel like I would be worried that I would run out of things to say. And so what has that process look like for you, especially when you're on the pressure of a deadline or just lacking creativity in your life or feeling uninspired? Tell me a little bit about that process.
1: Well, I think the idea that, you know, we have to wait till we're inspired to do the work is pretty amateur. And it was until I realized that, you know, now my job is to be inspired. It was both heartbreaking and invigorating because it realized that I sitting down and doing the work is now my job. And so what that's looked like for me is writing regularly, having a regular practice of writing. A lot of times people talk about having writer's block, or even if you're not a writer, Even in any kind of project creation, you can feel like sometimes that there's this block of creativity. And I think what that really is, I remember Seth Godin reading something he wrote once where he said that, you know, there's no such thing as writer's block. Have you ever had talker's block? Nobody has talker's block. You just talk. And (laughs) I think the actual thing that we're saying when we say we have writer's block or when we don't feel creative is that we don't have anything good to write or our writing isn't any good or, or it's bad. And I think sometimes I'm afraid to write terribly. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. that's, I think that's so key is just getting things out there and working on something that right now doesn't seem to be very good, but it's only, that's part of the process. And only in that, when I end up finding maybe a word or a phrase or a sentence that ends up becoming something bigger, but it's in that, if we believe that there is a such thing as writer's block or creativity block, I think that is actually the problem. And it's being willing to write terrible words is really the key, at least for me.
0: Absolutely. I remember listening to Elizabeth Gilbert speak about this, and she was talking about how after Eat, Pray, Love became this giant success, she felt like her best work was already behind her. And just believing those lies that we all hear within our lives, At no matter what occupation you have or what place of creativity you're coming from, I think those are just the lies. And I think just like you said, it, you have to get past putting out something that's less than perfect to get better back that flow and that energy state. It's so true. It's
1: so hard though, but it's. So it is.
0: Oh my gosh. It's impossible. There are definite seasons of my life. And I think it's one of the reasons why I run a multifaceted business is because I feel inspired by different things at different times. And I'm a very seasonal person. And so it's been really interesting to kind of harness and understand that a little bit better. Like sometimes I'm super photography focused and then sometimes I'm business and marketing and course focused and, you know, kind of rolling with those seasons and not forcing things has helped me. But I can only imagine with a deadline, that would be a lot less useful. (laughs) That's
1: so true. Well, and I love that, too. I I often feel like I identify with several different groups of creative business owners. The first group is like the lyrical writing and speaking group, more of a soul care discipleship group, a group, in fact, that doesn't often self-identify as business owners. Mm -hmm. But that's essentially what we are. Then there's this other group of more like girl bossy, online course creation, blogger, podcast marketing group that I really get jazzed about. And so sometimes I feel like those two, it's difficult for me to find ways for those two to sort of meet or coexist. But that's, I finally accepted, I think, that that's sort of where I come most alive is when I do have both of those things going. And similar to what you said, I think that helps me. I think for a time I thought I had to pick, like, are you this lyrical, poetic type of, you know, nonfiction narrative type writer Or are you like, you know, marketing, girl bossy, hustle, ship, get it done. And I realize I'm both and I think that makes the work better, but it it took me a while to get there.
0: Oh, absolutely. I never connected with the word strategy. I looked at it as (laughs) deceiving or, you know, like you're looking at what's in it for you. But then I realized like you have to have strategy to make impact. And, you know, if you're putting out good work, you want as many people to see it. And so that's where the marketing comes in. But for so long, when people would say like, you're so strategic, I would take offense to that because I'd be like, no, like I'm just trying to do my best work and get it seen by the right people. But then I look at it now. And I'm like, strategy is such a good thing. But it's funny how we have weird connotations with certain words or phrases or things that we can feel have this negative perception in our
1: lives. Absolutely. Yes.
0: When it comes to content creation, you either do it because you love it or because you know it's a powerful business tool. Now, either way, it takes a ton of work. so visit activations.com forward slash gold digger now for over 60% off. Do not miss out on this crazy deal. They rarely do discounts and it expires soon. That's activations.com forward slash gold digger. So I want to talk with you today and I love how you, I mean, there's just so many things that you teach on where I was like, she is the perfect fit for this. Just the mix of creativity and spirituality. But one thing I want to talk about is just creating good work and having the right pieces when you're going to embark on a new project or endeavor, because I know a lot of our listeners are dreamers and they're in that dreaming state and they're like, I know I want to do something, but I just don't even know where to start or how to get it going. And so I would love to talk just about the project creation process
1: and what that looks like for you. Listen, this is maybe my favorite thing to talk about because I love to help wholehearted, creative women make space for their soul to breathe so that they can walk in step with their calling and do their next right thing in love. I really believe that our generation of makers is in danger of burning out before we've said what we feel called to say. And so I'm particularly passionate about helping artists, creators and makers start and finish that's the keyword projects that matter And so my favorite place to stand, and I love this conversation because I think that this sort of goes right along with, is I love to stand at the intersection of creativity and spirituality. And I tend to help people discern the why behind what they're doing creatively and then maximize that why for greater impact and influence. Because sometimes I think we just sort of do what the quote unquote experts say we ought to be doing so that we are successful. And for some of us, that doesn't jive well with our soul, that doesn't jive well with our lifestyle or our personality. And so One area where I love to teach and encourage creative women is project creation and to help start and finish those projects that matter. And I have discovered for me, and now I use this with every project I start on, whether that's a website offering, a lead magnet, a podcast a course, or any of my books that I think about writing or want to write or have written. I've discovered three really simple essential keys that I believe every project needs if we want it to be effective and have an impact which is what we all want. You know, that's kind of why we do what we do. But I think that, you know, you have your business, you have your ministry, you have your big thing that you do. But within that, we're always creating new content and new offerings, large and small. And a problem that I've seen both in those who I work with and in myself is a relentless obsession over the wrong things and maybe you can relate with this, Jenna, and I have a feeling that you will, is that (laughs) no one has to teach us how to obsess over the wrong things. We are pro at that. In fact, I have a, a short list of the wrong things that I obsess over. I obsess over things I'm afraid of. I apologize a lot. I try to measure my impact. I wait until I feel qualified. I compare myself I fear the success of others. I keep impossible standards for perfection. I have imaginary conversations with my critics. That one can keep you up at night. Ask me how I know. Mm -hmm. Uh, Holding on to regret, staying comfortable, demanding appreciation, being easily offended. Think that one way, only one way is right and refuse to take a risk. I could just say, do the opposite of all that. And then <laughs> you'll have a project that matters. But instead, I, I really want to offer three really clear, essential key takeaways for every project to have if we want it to connect with your ideal client. And that first key, and this one might be surprising, is frustration. I watched a video interview between two pastors. One was uh, John Ortberg, and the other was Dallas Willard. And Dallas has since passed away. It was one of his final interviews. And in that conversation, it was a spiritual conversation, but you can apply it to any work that we do. John asked Dallas, how do we help people? Like if somebody wants to think about how is my spiritual life going or how is my soul doing? How do we help people ask and answer that question? And so Dallas, the older, wiser, answered and he said, well, very slowly, one at a time, we listen to them. And the next thing is a question and not a statement. And he said, ask what's bothering you. Start there. And it's funny because I sort of thought, really? That's, that's what you do? Like you ask somebody what's bothering them and that's where you start? That just seemed a little odd to me. And John Ortberg made a joke sort of about that. He's like, what if we went around and asked everyone at church what's bothering you and also you? <laughs> and everyone kind of laughed, you know. And Dallas, at the very end of the video, in a very quiet voice, you could hear Dallas said, well, if we did that, that would be absolutely revolutionary. And I had to pause the video because tears sprung to my eyes. And I don't know about you, but I really believe that we need to pay attention to what makes us cry because I think that Mm -hmm. our tears are tiny messengers sent from the deepest part of who we are to deliver a message that says, here is where your heart beats strong. This is what makes you come alive. Pay attention. And so Mm -hmm. tears sprung to my eyes and I thought, okay, what is happening here? And I realized that that question, what's bothering you is, is something that I feel like I have been conditioned, maybe especially as a woman. I don't know. But when something's bothering me, my initial reaction is to stuff it down and to not hold it out with curiosity and to not put it out into the light, but to stuff it down. Oh, I'm frustrated. I'm bothered. Up, oh, ignore that. But in fact, this could be the most revolutionary question that we could ask both in our spiritual lives as well as in our professional lives. And this is really backed up by Seth Godin, who I mentioned before, entrepreneur, author. He's done everything. Seth Godin. So smart. But he said a very similar thing in an interview with author Jeff Goins. He said he doesn't wake up in the morning saying that he needs something to write about, like, oh, I need to write a book today, or that he owes the world something. And he said he's totally fine if he doesn't have anything. But he said, and this is a quote, if I'm going to name something or if I'm going to bother to go to the year-long trouble of writing a book, it's because I'm frustrated. The only reason I do any of this is because no one else has done it in a way that I think is going to push an idea forward that I think is worth addressing. And so when we think about what is frustrating us, what is bothering us, and it could be really in any area, I think that's where we have to start when we want to create a project that matters because what's bothering us exposes what we most deeply long for, helps us become more fully alive, and if you think about it, what's bothering us is the catalyst for every change we've ever made. So frustration will either shut you down or it will wake you up. And that's the first key when it comes to creating a project that matters. Does that resonate? That's
0: amazing. Like I'm like sitting here and I wish I could take notes, but you would hear me typing. But I think that that is so incredible. And I know even when I decided to do the podcast, I was like, my work, my plate is full, but there is such a lack of free education and true conversation out there. And for so many of us, my mom just called me a hermit the other day because I love to be alone. Like I energize myself by being alone. But a lot of us feel that aloneness. And I wanted people to feel like they're just at coffee with us enjoying that. And so that frustration of like, we are on islands, so many of us out there trying to do our best work on islands, but we shouldn't be. That's absolutely what fired me up. And it made me take action so much quicker than just thinking, oh, I have a good idea. Maybe this would work instead of saying like, what does the world need? And I'm not going to wait around anymore
1: for someone else to do it. Absolutely. It is so key and it's overlooked. And so one way to help remember, I think of this as a triangle. So if you picture a triangle in your mind and One of the points of the triangle is frustration. It's the first essential key that every project needs. And in fact, another easy way, let's go back to elementary school. Remember Smokey the Bear? And he talked about like forest fires. Only you can prevent forest forest fires. Yes. yes. (laughs) But in this case, maybe we want to start one, but not a forest fire, but more like a fire of creativity. But basically that when you think about the fire triangle, there's three things you need. You need kindling, you need a heat source, and you need oxygen. So if we compare that to our fire triangle here, when we're talking about creativity, that frustration is your kindling. That's what you need to get started. But the second key, and one that we probably are most familiar with talking about when it comes to creativity is passion. And I won't spend a ton of time on that one because I think most of us already know that one. people ask, well, what's your passion? And, you know, what makes you come alive? And and I think that that one we can sometimes, you know, more quickly identify. We're more used to maybe talking about that passion. For example, when it comes to writing a book, you know, book writing is what I know best. If I'm already sick of my topic after I've written the book proposal, which for me, a proposal takes several months to write. If I'm already sick of it, it's probably not my passion. I probably don't have enough passion to let this go on for three years because you have to pitch it and then you have to write it and then you have to market it. And I'll be living with this message for an awfully long time. And, and if I don't have the passion for it, it's probably not going to, it definitely won't connect with my reader if, if it's not, Connecting with me. And so that is sort of another of those points on the triangle is passion. And and if you compare it to the fire triangle, that would be like the match or the heat that sort of, you know, gets that fire going. So that's passion. And then the third key and the final key and one that I, I think a lot of times can be overlooked is hope. It doesn't matter what your project is. You can be a marketing expert. You can be a home blogger, an Etsy shop owner, a memoir writer, a writer of fiction, whatever the genre. The question really is for you as a creative person and as a person who's professionalizing your art is to keep your ideal customer in mind and ask the question, am I able to peer behind the mysterious curtain of the present problem I'm trying to solve for my reader or for my ideal customer? And to catch a glimpse of what could be for her. If we can't do that, our project, no matter how frustrated or how passionate we are, it will fall flat and won't connect because we aren't able to catch that hopeful vision. And so I thought about this triangle and I carry, that's sort of the triangle, the frustration, passion, and hope. I use that sort of as a filter for all of my projects, every project that I do, I sort of put it through that filter. What I've noticed, Jenna, and maybe you could relate with this part, is that sometimes we'll have two of those without the third. Mm -hmm. And so what happens when we have, I just wanted to give a quick rundown of what happens, at least in me, and I've seen it in others' work too, when we only have two of the three. For example, if you have frustration and passion, but you don't have any hope, a lot of times this turns into a cynical rant. In other words, it's kindling and it's fire, but there's no oxygen. So, for example, I think of this as most of what we find on the Internet. There's a lot of passionate frustration, but there's little hope to go around. It's easy to complain and to rant about things that we don't like and things we want to change, but it's more difficult to find those hopeful solutions. And I think that's what separates the amateurs from the professionals is when we're really willing to recognize – okay, I'm passionate about this, and I'm frustrated about this, but here's where I want to move people towards hope. That is essential for that. Otherwise, it'll be a cynical rant. But you could have frustration and the hope, but you don't have any passion, and that would be like not having any heat for this project. And that, for example, end up sounding like rote duty. Like this is just something I have to do. For example, when I think about my own life, especially in this past election season, I think about my views on politics. Like I'm super frustrated about things and I have hope for something better, but I'm not a real passionate advocate for like, I'm going to go knock on doors and that's not really my thing. I still vote because hashtag America, obviously, but a political project run by me would probably fizzle out because that's just not probably going to be my thing. I might sign up to do it, but it would be more of a duty thing than it would be sort of something that would fit in my gifting, if that makes sense. That is perfect.
0: I think that something that's so interesting, too, is a lot of times I feel like online people play the martyr, kind of like what you were saying. Mm -hmm. So they have that complaint and they can back that up very passionately. But like you said, they aren't the ones that are looking within themselves to offer that hope. And I think a lot of times, especially nowadays, where we want change and we want to seek change and chase change, yet we're waiting for other people to lead the way. And I have... I've noticed that so much in opening up about different things that people feel really uncomfortable about, like body image or miscarriage or things like that. But I can't just sit here and wait for someone else to do it because everyone's waiting for permission. And I think you've talked about this so much as we're all just waiting to be granted permission, but we don't understand that we've already been given it by the person that created us. Okay. And, you know, if we're not listening to that call, like nobody's winning by us playing small. I say that so often because I think a lot of times our desire and what we run to is just to play small and to shrink into the shadows. And I think a lot of times that that is when we can look back at those years and say like, I wasn't living up to my potential or I wasn't pursuing my passions in a way that could actually make an impact.
1: What if we all paid attention to what made us come alive and sort of were willing to walk in that space without feeling like we had to swim in someone else's lane. Mm -hmm. I think there'd be so much freedom that would come from that and so much really beautiful artwork that would come from that. But I i mean, speaking for myself, that can be scary because you sometimes feel like, oh, uh, what if yeah. it's not enough?
0: <laughs> Especially <laughs> if you're really like invested in it, because then it's like, if you do fail, that failure would be so much heavier than if it was just something that seemed like a good idea at the time. It's so true. It's so true. Have you walked through seasons of your life where you just aren't sure what it is that makes you come alive? Like, have you walked through uninspired seasons where you're just like, gosh, I'm just going through the motions and staying afloat? Or do you feel like you feel creatively inspired often?
1: You know, I absolutely, I have walked through those seasons. And I have, I think, I'll say this tentatively, I finally started to accept that that's really an important part. Of the creative process that it's sort of like a if you think about the seasons of a year there's always a winter season and it seems like there's no life here it's never coming back Mm -hmm. but the spring always comes and so oftentimes it's during the i think there is something to be said for learning to wait like a pro and, and knowing that what the seeds that are sown in darkness and quiet they dig down deep into the soil And it takes time and it takes patience. But when those roots are solid, they will produce growth, but it just isn't always measurable growth or the kind of growth that we want that's in our timeline. But I've definitely walked through those and now I am slightly more welcome to them. Not completely, but slightly more welcome. Right.
0: right. The human in you is like, come on, here I am. Uh, but I right. think too, you know, a lot of times with entrepreneurs and I mean, even you becoming a writer, sometimes it's really hard to transition that passion into a paid position. Yes. And I think a lot of times when we're doing something as just a passion project or, you know, it's a hobby of ours, it feels very different without a monetary backing. And I think a lot lot of times as entrepreneurs, for me, I bought a camera on Craigslist and then became a photographer. (laughs) And, you know, I still, even this last weekend, I took photos of my sister and her fiance because it was free and I felt free to do things that I've been wanting to do without that, you know, income or things that were putting pressure on myself. And I think a lot of times when we start to do those projects and turn them into a job, we forget about all the other things that we loved before that. And I know for me, I dove headfirst into this entrepreneurial journey and I forgot a lot about the little things like going on a run or reading a book just for fun. And, you know, in the season of life I'm in, I feel balanced, as balanced as somebody can feel. And it's because I reintroduced a lot of the things that had just hit in the wayside while I was trying to grow this thing. And I'm sure you can relate, especially being a mother and taking something that was once a blog and just a way to remember and keep things. Documented into a a really, really lucrative and amazing career. And I'm sure that you felt that way.
1: Can you relate to that? I can relate to that so much. I can't even tell you. In fact, my last book came out in August of 2015. It was called Simply Tuesday. And it was all about small moment living in a fast moving world, really, a lot about what you just said. And then after that book, I sort of really looked forward to a time of quiet, a time of, you know, not having another contract that I had signed and sort of maybe waiting and listening. And I entered that time very eager for rest and rejuvenation. And what I found was a restlessness that my soul, it was like my soul was addicted to Productivity, Mm -hmm. and I uncovered and discovered that our soul and our schedule don't follow the same rules. And so I sort of had to relearn how to be a person in some ways, which sounds
0: absolutely no
1: doesn't sound crazy at all. (laughs) (laughs) And so I mean, you know, I'm coming up on two years of my last book releasing, and I didn't realize it. I thought sort of like, oh yeah, I'll enter into a time of waiting and resting for you know, in my head, maybe I thought it would be six months to a year and now two years is coming and I still haven't pitched another book. I have more books in me. I know that for sure. I know the words will come and I've even started sort of brainstorming things, but that's only come after months and months now, years of waiting and listening and paying attention and sort of allowing myself to press my ear up against the gentle heartbeat of my own life and recognizing what it is that I truly need for life and for, you know, connection and it doesn't always have to do with my work. And for a while, that's sometimes that's hard to see when you're in the midst of a deadline, sort of a hustling season of life, which isn't a bad thing. I think that comes and goes. But if they're too close together, I think it's easy to lose ourselves in the midst of that.
0: Absolutely. And I heard something the other day and I was like, this is so true, but we are so afraid to be alone with our thoughts nowadays. And I recognize that within myself. A lot of times we're on our phones constantly. If there's even a break in our day of a minute, we just pick up our phone and start scrolling. Or we're (laughs) always listening to podcasts or Spotify or, you know, we have a million distractions in the background or Netflix and we want to binge on a season. And it's funny, there was some poll and I, I was listening to a podcast when it was on But they said that People would rather Have electric shocks Run through their body Than to sit alone Without anything And I thought, oh, my gosh, that's crazy. But then I thought that is kind of true. Like, I believe people text and drive because they can't sit and be alone with their thoughts anymore. And I don't think it's because they know their messages are really important. It's that we have lost the ability to slow down to a point where we can sit and be introspective. And I know I've gone through seasons of that. And it's just scary. It's like, I don't want to be quiet at night because I don't want to talk to God because I know he's going to have some things to say to me. (laughs) And, you know, it's just so interesting. And that's why I so resonate with the message that you share and how you share it, because I think that you just have this ability to put things into perspective and, and recognize there are seasons of hustle, but there are more seasons of grace and rest that follow that. And it has to just, you know, one can come after the other and one is not a success nor a failure. And I think that's so amazing.
1: It's so true. And you know that that sort of being alone, that fear of being alone and being still and listening and, and letting the silence sort of speak and being in the presence of God without an agenda, which is so mm-hmm. difficult. I think there's both the fear of what we'll hear and the fear that we won't hear anything at all. Mm-hmm. And I think that can sometimes send us running even more quickly is because what if there's just silent and that's it? And I think it's those times when I feel an invitation to sit with my father for no other reason than to be loved. And that is not a practice that we engage in easily or without fighting, but I think it's so important. It's amazing. Oh my
0: goodness. I could talk to you for days. Tell everybody where they can find you, how they can pick up your book, how they can learn more about you and just follow the season that you're in right now.
1: Sure. Well, I write fairly, maybe weekly ish at <laughs> Emily P. Freeman.com. And I'm also Emily P Freeman on Twitter and Instagram. So that's where you can find me there. And I do have an online course called create and complete. It's actually part of my school for creative direction. And that's at the school for creative direction.com where I have several different offerings. And I even have a fun freebie. If you yes, want me to offer that as absolutely. well. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Let me see. Hold on. It's a free download. It's a soulful way to start any project and, It's called the Maker's Toolkit. It's basically a cheat sheet and a checklist for starting a project in 15 minutes or less.
0: Oh my gosh, that is amazing. And you guys can pick that up in the show notes at golddiggerpodcast.com. We will link it in the show notes and we are so excited to get our hands on that. Emily, thank you so much for spending time with us today. I know your message is just going to really, really resonate and just speak truth into so many lives. And I'm so thankful that you hung out with me today. Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks for listening to Gold Digger